fast, efficient, and affordable business-grade hosting solutions, domain registration, SSL certificates, and more. We also monitor and provide website security and update services, website builds, email hosting, amongst other sensational products. If you have a question about your web page or your presence on the internet in general, no job is too big or too small. Visit our website today, or better yet, contact us at blueoceanwebhosting.com.au and leave your website issues to us. Big ones, little ones, fiddly ones, powerful ones. The ones for the car or the truck, caravan, boat, mobility scooter, solar system. In fact, for any kind of battery, go straight to Battery Central Ipswich. They'll even help you when you know what you need to power but have no idea what'll do the job. Battery Central Ipswich, 280 Brisbane Street, West Ipswich, in the Yellow Building. Expert advice, better batteries, best prices every day. That's Battery Central Ipswich. to episode 761 of the Aussie Tech Heads. This is Will Tompkinson and I'm Jason, Jason, Jason. <laughs> For those who don't know, you're never going to find out. Shut up, Jason. <laughs> uh, good old Jimmy Giggle. <laughs> He's uh, done some really cool stuff on YouTube and it's one of his memes. You know, I've been planning that all day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was showing Dad the videos today. All right. They had the one with um, imperial measurements. Yep. <laughs> start start off with what uh, something like a peppercorn, and yeah, then gra- three um, of those. Uh, uh, wheat grain of wheat. Yeah. Yeah. Three of those make an inch. Then twelve of those make. Why can't we make it ten? <laughs> oh, it's twelve. <laughs> then yep. I showed him a clock. Yes, let's have a clock. It's got twelve numbers on it. Okay, so there's 12 hours in a day. No, there's 24, Jason. Look, <laughs> look at my shirt. Jason, Jason, Jason. Uh, yeah, it, I love his stuff. He's really good. If you, if yeah, um, uh, Jimmy Reeves on, um, on YouTube, check him out. He's, um, Giggle and Hoot from back in the day. He's Jimmy Giggle. Um, but now he's a, like a, a he real argues comedian. with himself for fun. <laughs> What started in lockdown? He he actually was touring as a, a comedy show, and then when lockdown started, he had nothing else to do. But he had all his ideas. He still wanted to do a free show, but he's in. I mean, he has twins, and then an older son and his wife. But at that time, he didn't want to sort of have them in the public eye, you know. Yeah. Um. So he just started doing both sides of the argument, and then he got three characters, then he got four characters, and. <laughs> Now he's got about 45 characters that he does. And he's got Meanwhile in Australia. <laughs> yeah, he's got Meanwhile in Australia. He's got Lockdown series. He's got the girls of something or other, which is like, um, it's like Trude and Jude or whatever it was out of, uh, <laughs> out of Keth and Kim. Yeah. It's sort of like those. Um, and then he's got, um, yeah, he's doctor and patient one. And he's got the, yeah, Jason and the, the 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 other guy is always the person who makes x decisions yep. so who makes you know the decisions on time or the decisions on money or the decisions on measuring or yep. <laughs> a new one he's just started now and it's like miss clara's fortune telling or something and <laughs> so he's yeah he's fantastic he's actually got that popular like it was just something to kill time but it's actually more popular than anything else has ever done it's so popular he's actually just rented a studio to start making more production <laughs> <laughs> and he's going to go on tours and stuff. He does tour, yeah. yeah. He tours. Um, well, he can tour now. Um, he does quite a few tours. And he's like, don't, <laughs> he said, don't bring your kids. <laughs> it's, it's different. <laughs> Unless you want them to learn some very new things. <laughs> yeah, it's no longer giggling. Although he has the guy who does, who plays Hoot, yep. who voices Hoot. 
Um, it's actually a friend of his, and they actually often it's a, his photographer for some of the stuff he does. It's actually his videographer. Oh, okay. And they went out and did a, a book signing or something, and yeah, the guy who does Hoot was doing behind the camera, <laughs> and occasionally is something you know a saying or something and pop up that they're used to doing, and you hear from behind this camera, you hear one of his lines <laughs> sprouting. Like... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so that's pretty cool. Stuff. And you can buy his merch. So his glasses have got, um, you know, Jason, Jason, Jason on the shirts and, you know, all that cup. sort of stuff. And coffee cup. You can buy wanker coffee and, and, um, what is it? Wanker coffee and not wanker coffee. Yeah. <laughs> not so wanker coffee. <laughs> not so wanker coffee. Yeah. So you can buy all these sort of stuff. The girl's from Brighton. That's what it is. Oh, right. <laughs> that makes so sense. They're into, they're into the bobo and the, <laughs> and the, um, What's it? Not Chardonnay. Um, I can't remember what he calls it, but yeah, different wine. Yeah, uh, yeah no, he's, he's really good at it. Scaringly good at it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Jason. <laughs> uh, How have you been years. anyway? Um, well, well, you know, up and down. More down than up lately <laughs> the last couple of weeks. Dope. We had, well, obviously we had the floods in Brisbane and they just... Started while well, I started in Gympie and just went down the coast. Yeah. Um, so we, I didn't get flooded here. We got flooded in. They, so st- they stopped a couple hundred k's above me and started again another couple <laughs> down Newcastle downwards and like Coffs Harbour upwards, but yeah. not our little bend in the middle. Don't know how you missed out on them, eh? <laughs> but um, well, even like inland, like Grafton and that, they they copped it all, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we got. Stuck on an island here. We didn't get flooded, but we got flooded in. Yeah. Um, and I got water damage in my granny flat and garage and stuff. And like the rain was going horizontal at one point. It was actually going under the eaves and yep. it was going under the eaves and hitting the inside wall from under the eaves and running down the wall. <laughs> um, so anyway, I called the insurance company down and put a claim in there. And they said, oh, we're back to you in four hours. After ringing two hours a day for seven days, I got jack with it. So I posted on their Facebook and I posted on um, somewhere else. And then I filed a complaint with their complaints department. Yeah. And then the day after that, after I filed a complaint with the complaints department, suddenly they'd ring me. Yeah. Funny that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I finally got through to them and sort of that. Oh, literally, it was a 30 second question. Yep. You know. And the damage they've caused by not answering their phone, you know, they've cost themselves tens of thousands of dollars because they didn't have a procedure in place, for, you know, for handling quick questions. Yeah. You know, you couldn't even message them on on Facebook or anything. Like, they didn't have anybody monitoring their social media. <laughs> and all your stuff just kept getting worse. Yeah, all my stuff's getting mold, water damage and mold because they literally said, don't touch anything, we'll, ha- we'll get an assessor contact you within four hours. Yeah. But don't touch anything because you could affect your claim. Yep. Okay. So you just have to let the mold grow. Think, okay, it's the next. Probably by that time, be the next day. Fine, whatever. I can handle that. Yep. And then, yeah, four days went past, and I hope I ended up going down to Lismore because most of my family's in Lismore, and um, they got just completely and utterly obliterated down there. It's insane. You know, you're talking water two meters above where it's ever been in recorded history of that town, or between two and three meters, depending on the part of town. I saw the uh, PM went and had a look around and said, "Here's a flood, but not, yeah, a, not, not a real flood." And and farmers know the names of their cows. That was something very important to him. Yeah, what was with that? <laughs> I, I still don't. Cuckoo, cuckoo. I, actually, a friend of mine actually talked to the farmers he talked to, and the farmers like, "I, I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was talking to Bessie over there. <laughs> It's like, I'm not sure what weeds he's on, but it's not the same weed the cows eat. How do we get some? <laughs> he might have gone to Nimmin first before he went to Lismore. Nimmin didn't get as badly affected, so he might have, they might have had something to... It's all hydroponics anyway. It would have been fine. Some old lady walked they up probably the had a ton of it growing there. Some old lady walked up to the car and was like, would you like a cookie? Yeah. Here, take one for the road. <laughs> I, like, I like the... Um, it was a, a tweet somebody had posted... When it's Christmas time and you come to our um, Christmas tree shop and you ask for the special trees, don't get offended by the kinds of things I show you. 
Mrs. Wilson because <laughs> sometimes there's a bit of a cross imagination of what we're talking about, <laughs> and I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it was like the uh, what was it? The PM? No, the mayor and the governor were there. It was the governor, the premier, sorry, and the PM. Wow. The mayor and the premier were there like two days earlier. Yep. No one knew they were coming because they didn't announce it, which was probably smart on their behalf, I guess. They literally like drove up to the street where everyone's working. They got out, tapped some poor guy on the shoulder, shook his hand while he wasn't paying attention, took the photos and jumped back in the car and left. I saw somebody <laughs> was posting videos that the ADF went up there to film themselves helping clean out the last two bits of paper or cardboard yeah. in a house that had already been completely emptied by yeah. the people who lived there and their neighbours. So they yep. just got a camera, set it up. Okay, you go in there, grab a couple of things and walk out. We'll film that and say, look, we helped, and then go. Most of the ADF went there to set up Tent City for the contractors and stuff who have got to stay there to help clean up. Ah. Uh, and then disappeared. Um, they bought... I think it was 80,000 litres of fuel yep. for them to use, <laughs> not for anybody else. There's no fuel so in All the citizens still didn't have fuel. When we went down on Sunday, I took down 200 litres of fuel yep. with me and 200 litres of vinegar because that's the main thing when they're washing clothes and stuff like that. You need vinegar to get the, the smell and the, yep. the stuff out of them. So I took down 200 litres of fuel and 200 litres of vinegar when we went down on, on, uh, on Sunday. Um, and we had to leave at four o'clock in the morning because they're predicting massive storms for Sunday afternoon. So we had to be out of there by lunchtime to be heading back to miss these storms. So we didn't get flooded in Jeez. or flooded out of home. Yeah. And the play, I didn't get to take, I didn't get to tour the town. Well, not tour, but I was going to have a drive through look at my auntie's place because it's at the other side of town from where we come in. Um, and it was, yeah, it was under, which everyone thought was impossible. It was, it was so far above the 74 level it was put on stilts. Yeah. Yeah. And it still went under. And um, so they're just decimated down there. Um, still. I still haven't had any help. Like the, There's the SES and whatever, but there's no, there's been no military help down there. Yeah. They, they've just been driving their trucks around to make it look like they're doing something, but they haven't actually deployed them. Wasn't it? Dadu was saying, you can't expect us to send out the ADF. They're not trained for this sort of stuff. You need trained people like the SES and volunteers who know what they're doing. Yeah. They're the professionals, not the ADF. They're not trained to do this sort of stuff. We no. can't. Don't expect them to come out any time you've got some natural disaster that's wiped out a bunch of towns everywhere. Yeah, or the, you know, $100 million or whatever it is that, that the the voluntary organisations are still hanging on to that for a rainy day because yeah. they didn't release it during the fires. No, still not. So, well, it's, it's and the $4 raining. billion the government put aside for it. It's been raining a fair bit. It's probably a good rainy day. <laughs> nah. You know, it's all just ridiculous. And then they, what well, they announced though, the PM announced, oh, look, you can, we originally said you can have $1,000, but you can have $2,000 now. <laughs> That'll fix your house up. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the other stuff is, you can't apply for most of it because to a, there are um, lots of property claims and there's other stuff you can do through the government, but it all requires uh, like proof of income. And proof of or proof of unemployment and proof of this and proof of, like most people don't have any of that. No, it's all gone. Yeah, you know you can't prove like they want. Yeah, they want like um, pay slips and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's like okay, some stuff you might have an email. Assuming they you still they went out phone. to sea. <laughs> if you go swim out there, Mister Premier, yeah, it'll be out there somewhere. <laughs> And while you're other... out there, why don't you drown? Yeah, go look for other Prime Minister that didn't come back. Yeah. Come back when you find him. Howard Holt. <laughs> come back when you find him, he not He swims into town, don't worry, I'll save the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where you been? I was waiting for you know, the wave to come back the other way. So, yeah, so it's been... Um, and then Dada been... was like, I'm sick and tired of you people going on about the ADF and taking... Uh, say nasty things about them, they're like, no, we're saying nasty things about you yeah. and the PM. Nobody yeah. has anything nasty about the ADF, despite what's happened. But uh, Because they're under your control. Yeah. <laughs> they just can't Anytime anyone it. attacks him, he's like, 
I won't have you attacking the ADF. They're like, no, no. <laughs> We're attacking you, not the ADF. Yeah. Well, well you... stop attacking the ADF. When you're dumb, you don't realise you're dumb, do you? <sighs> That's the problem. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so it's been interesting the last the last uh, what week and a half, whatever it is. Yep. Mm. What have I been up to? Buying old computer games on Steam. Sam and Max. Sam and Max hit the road. Still and one of my favourite games. Save ever. the world. And a couple of other Sam and couple Max others, games. Yeah, yeah they're all they're being just... remastered by. Um, Skunk Ape, who took over all the stuff from Telltale. Yeah. They are, they were used to work at Telltale, and now they've got all the IP and everything, and they're remastering everything and re-releasing it. And you can also play some of the old versions of it on your modern computer. They've made them compatible, so that's cool. Yeah, I... I um, something to be said for the old nostalgic versions of games. Yeah, I'm going to play like, them as well. Yeah. <laughs> It's like Duke 3D. You can play the Atomic Edition, which is re-rendered and remastered to work on new computers. Yep. But I don't know there's something about that, that that older style that just that's the game. Like that's how you played it when it came out. Like, bottom feeding, scum sucking algae eater. I'm here to kick ass and chew gum, and I'm all out of gum. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, it's um, and well, they, they did a VR version of it too, didn't they, Sam Max? Yep. This oh, time it's virtual. Yeah. <laughs> it almost sounds like you're heading into Roger Rabbit territory there. But I, I haven't got a VR anymore. I gave it away. Gave it away now. Yeah. Actually, I've got to get this one fixed too. I've got to get another sensor. I'll have to wait till um, Project Cambridge finally comes out and whatever they're going to call it. Yeah. Well, has, I mean, the, what? Meta's got one out now. Apparently everyone's raving about. That's Project Cambridge from but, Meta. That's what I mean. The, the, that that headset's out, but apparently that one's the one's out now. Apparently, is only compatible with the metaverse. It's oh, not okay. Compatible with games and stuff. What is the point? Yeah, I know. Because now you've got to buy. It's like the Facebook headset. phone. Who wants the Facebook phone? Yeah. The Facebook camera. Who wants the Facebook camera? They have the Facebook operating system. Now you got to buy another one to work on the rest of your games because. But, uh, I mean, they do it because it has a good battery life and stuff. Apparently, it runs for like twelve hours, and uh, see. there's a few a few things they do it for. But yeah, yeah, no, I need another um, another sensor for my. Oh yeah, they're basically they're literally a camera, um, and they've just got an IR receiver in here, and the the mask has got IR dots on it. And that's how they pick up and the controllers too. Where the controllers are and the mask is. So this year's infrared sensing. It's that's old technology. Even the the old PlayStation 2 one used the same technology. It's Nothing old technology, there. sir, but it they checks just, out. They've just increased, like, it's the same old style technology. They've just increased the resolution and, and speed at which you can do it. Nice. But it hasn't changed in terms of what it does. It's still the same thing. Yeah. Um, there are hacks where you can use just the Logitech webcam and stuff, apparently. Oh, which okay. I'm looking into because I've got a million of those. <laughs> Give it a go. Just, even the connector that goes onto the back of it. Um, it's just a standard USB USB three connector, like it's. Just, oh, okay. Yeah, nothing special about it. So. Nice. Or USB C connector, I should say. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. There's a there's a there's a push on old games at the moment. I saw. Um, actually, what we we're talking about before the show, the Monty Python collection. Yeah. <laughs> old PC games. I'd completely <laughs> forgotten about that. Sprang into my mind i'm like oh, i had that game <laughs> it wasn't really a game it was kind of an experience yeah it was kind of, did you ever play um oh what's it called um oh, there's another one it's the something head or something uh, the talking uh, head i'm trying to it come out about the same time as um austin powers oh, okay and it was just like a, a an eclectic collection of concepts of what could potentially be games (laughs) like and that's that's what the monty python one was years ahead of its time um but you had it the flying chicken yeah flying chicken flying toasters jumping (laughs) sheep um but yeah there was yeah in uh yeah the monty python one there was uh, i guess you know angry birds or or uh flappy bird or whatever it's called now that was a predecessor to that (laughs) 
It involved flying chickens and eating chicken heads. Yeah. Which I don't know if that was a uh, a reference to, um, was it Ozzy Osbourne or whoever it was who used to eat, bite heads off chickens on stage? Beat the head off a bat. No, uh, someone did chickens too, I think. Yeah, Ozzy did a bat because he bat. thought it was a rubber thing that somebody had found at a yeah. toy store and they threw it at him. That's so right. he bit the head off it for fun and then they're like, that was a real bat. He's like, oh. Like he didn't know rabies. And everyone's like, yeah, rock, heavy metal, he's biting. And he's like, no, that wasn't what I was trying to do. I thought somebody had this little rubber toy they threw at me. But again, uh, good old he, would, he probably, so I told in, in his mind, he wouldn't be able to determine whether something was alive or not because... He was mostly out of his mind. Four minutes later, he would have forgotten all about it anyway. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose we should say thanks to everyone for the subscriptions and tuning in and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and the Patreons and the... Kofi. The Kofis and the PayPals and all the things we get. Yep. So, greatly appreciate it, guys. It really helps. Keep it up. um, You guys rock. Uh, I haven't had an update from Kim. I've been psyched this week and forgot to ask her how... Glenn's doing, but uh, I haven't heard that he's out of hospital yet, so I'm assuming he's still in there. So yep. you guys want to go onto Facebook or Twitter or or uh, Instagram or on YouTube and just leave him a message of support and let him know you're thinking of him and probably mean the world to him. So yep, is uh, yeah, I'll have to get a, I'll have to get an update from Kim and see how he's doing. Yeah, so see what's going on. Yep. All right, should we do some news? Uh, we'll try everything else. Did he, did- Samsung confirmed a breach of its systems, reportedly the work of the hacking group Lapsus. They're the guys that we were talking about last week who did NVIDIA, now they've moved on to Samsung. (laughs) Which saw 190 gigabytes of the South Korean electronics company's data, including source code for its Galaxy devices, leaked online. The attack came days after Lapsus breached another big tech business, chipmaker NVIDIA. While both incidents appear to have been mercenary in nature, security researchers believe the gang could be pursuing another agenda too. Lapsus released the Samsung data onto its website as well as posting it on messaging platform Telegram. Today, Samsung confirmed the breach was genuine and said that though source code has been seized by the hackers, no personally identifiable information from employees or customers has been accessed. We were recently made aware that there was a security breach relating to certain internal company data. Immediately after discovering the incident, we strengthened our security system. You think they should have done that before? (laughs) Oh, you know. Turn up the security to 11, guys. Better late late than never, right? The information posted (laughs) online included source code for every trusted applet installed in Samsung's Trust Zone environment, which is used for sensitive information such as hardware cryptography, binary encryption and access control, algorithms for all the biometric unlock operations, and what appears to be confidential source code from US semiconductor company Qualcomm. The attack occurred just a day after Lapsus breached NVIDIA's defences in an incident where the group claims to have lifted a terabyte of data, including specifications for some of NVIDIA's hardware. Subsequently, Lapsus leaked 20 gigabytes of this data, including the credentials of 71,000 NVIDIA employees. The company said it is investigating a cybersecurity incident which impacted IT resources. And not in this story, but we'll add as well, the guys got the NVIDIA digital certificates that they used to sign their drivers for Windows to say they're valid, and now they write malware and are signing the malware with NVIDIA's digital certificates, which means Windows will think they're certified and install them without any problems. Well... I don't think they have, but they potentially could. So, or they could, you know, use it to like, say, like, just install every computer with a thing that just pops up and says, "This will stay here until they release their code in open source." I don't yep. Know. <laughs> Weren't they supposed yeah, I, to release a lot more if their Nvidia didn't open source their drivers last Friday? Yeah, I'd have to go back and look. I can't remember when the cutoff was. It it wasn't very long. I know that. Um. This is where we find out it's actually like Apple trying to figure out how to make their phones better. Yeah. <laughs> Look at all these guys there. They got into Samsung. Nobody's hacked the Apple, right? Yeah, exactly. Nobody's hacked the... that's, that's a comeback by Blue by BlackBerry. Yeah. <laughs> how can we make our next phone better? I know. Let's do what Samsung's doing. Jason, I know. Jason, Let's do exactly Jason. what Samsung's doing. <laughs> Let's do exactly the same. Actually, you know what? Let's just steal what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) 
Why and we'll do it, and then why, they can't. Why didn't we'll Samsung it? increase their security before? Jason, 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 <laughs> you ask such stupid questions. You don't know what you're talking about. How long have you been doing this? Uh, about the same time as you have, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, who was it? Was it during the week we're talking about? I can't remember who it was. Someone, and they said that, uh, uh, was it? I can't remember what it was. And they're saying that their uh, security is an incredibly, incredibly common, well known security system or something like wouldn't that be the opposite of secure? Yeah, <laughs> you don't want it to be well known. Like it's that's you can't have. Well, yeah, what was it? Common and prolific or something was the words they used to describe it. I'm like, no, that would be the opposite of a secure <laughs> system. Like <laughs> one of those two words. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. It was something. It was something like that. It was another government department or something. I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> clearly that that approach is working well for you. <sighs> Keep it up. Oh, dear. Yeah. So. Um, speaking of um, vulnerabilities, me, I'm feeling a bit vulnerable right we now. We might suffer from a dirty pipe. <gasps> Gross. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why. These names, I'll tell you what. On Monday, a cybersecurity researcher released the details of a Linux vulnerability that allows an attacker to overwrite data on arbitrary read only files. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of in hackers when they go to the trash and he just grabs a random file out of it. So I have some <laughs> arbitrary file, that'll do. <laughs> like, like on hackers where they keep it in the trash file. Yeah. That's where all the hacking stuff is. In all the good stuff files. is kept in trash, yeah. And that's where I keep my porn for years. Wait. What? Wait. Who said that? <laughs> <laughs> right click, empty trash. No! <laughs> Why does your trash bin have a password on it? Uh, so people don't delete it by mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I love that trash. The vulnerability CVE 2022 that just rolls off the tongue. Right. And you think, okay, it's a cybersecurity, vulnerable something or other, vulnerability, something, you know, discovered in 2022. No. It was discovered in April 2021. Oh. So a year ago. <laughs> so the, 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 I don't know. But then I guess they called it dirty pipe because it was easier to say. Yeah. Um, the explain the vulnerability affects Linux kernel 5.8 and later versions, but were fixed in 5.16. Oh, that's right, Linux do this stupid. Okay, so the vulnerability affects Linux kernel 5.8 and later versions, but it was fixed in 5.1611 and 5.1525 and 5.10102. Uh-huh. So if you got five... any of those random ones, <laughs> because a 5.1 comes after a 5.8. I don't think that's how it works. Because 8 would be 8-0 if there's no 0 after technically a point. No, it's 80. After decimal point, (laughs) the number, and then infinite zeros. So (laughs) 8 bazillion comes before 1-5. It always annoys me how they do version numbers like that because they don't follow the laws of maths. Anyway, it all started a year ago. A support ticket about a corrupt file. A customer complained access logs they downloaded couldn't be decompressed. Uh, there was a corrupt log file on one of those log servers that could be decompressed, but GCP reported a CRC error. Now, I couldn't explain why it was corrupt, but I assumed the nightly split, split process had crashed and left a corrupt file behind. I fixed the file CRC manually, closed the ticket, and soon forgot about it. Months later, this happened again and again, and every time the file's contents looked correct, only a CRC at the end of the file was wrong. Now, several corrupt files, I was able to dig deeper and found a surprising kind of corruption. A pattern emerged. Kerman went on to show how he discovered the issue and how someone could potentially exploit it. He initially assumed the bug was only exploitable where, while a privileged process writes the file uh, and that it depended on timing. But he later found that it's possible to overwrite the page cache even in the absence of writers with no timing constraints but almost any arbitrary positions within the arbitrary data. In order to exploit the vulnerability, the attacker needs to have, read, to have read permissions. The offset must not be on a page boundary. The right can the right cannot cross a page boundary, and the right cannot be resized. To exploit this vulnerability, you need to create a pipe, fill the pipe with arbitrary data, uh, set the flags, drain the pipe, and, and spice data into the target file into the pipe just before the target file is writ, written arbitrarily by the system. Sounds terribly so, complicated. <laughs> it does, but be, 
basically what they're saying is when the system writes a write-only file, sorry, a read-only file, where it's technically not editable, in such this case as a log file, um, it doesn't check for security privileges before it closes the file. Ah. So what they're doing is they're basically intersecting that file as it's been written. The only thing that the only thing that the system's looking for at the end of the write is that the file's the right size. Yeah. So as long as you can grab the hash data of the file and you know what the file size is before it's completed being written, which you do because the system already knows what it's writing, and you make the file the same size, you can literally put anything into that file as long as the file ends up being the same size. Uh-huh. And then if you go to restore it or load it or read it later on, you effectively run the file and you run the program. So if you've got a got a hacker or whatever in there, by looking at the file, you're running the program. So Dang. what you think is a log file is actually some way, you know, Have a whether it's, a, whether it's a, a backdoor in or whether it's a, um, a virus or whether it's an exploit or but whatever it is you've run just by, you know, it could be something. I mean, and it doesn't have to be a text file. Um for example, security footage. Yep. You might be writing security footage to a server on a regular basis, like actually I am at work. But I have have the eighty gig drive just on loops, and it just starts re- overwriting. That file size is always the same size. The file size never changes. It just continually writes new data to that file. Hmm. And then when you want to go back and review it, you can just look at part of that file. But it'd be the same thing. You could technically turn that entire eighty gig file into a into a virus if you wanted to. Yeah. And then when you went back and reviewed it. You'd, you'd run that file. That's some nasty stuff. So, basically, it says it can be on any file on any file that gives it doesn't yeah it gives root level access, um, but not on yeah. So basically, it gives, a, a read only file by default has root level access because it's read only. Technically, there's nothing you can do with it, so it's a root it's a root only, it's a root access level file. <laughs> That's terrible. So, well, if you think about it, if you've ever lo- opened a log file or something, it's never once entered you to confirm your password to do it, even if you're a guest user. Yeah. Because it's only a, a text file. There's nothing, you know, it's nothing. So. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> um, so, and then once you run it, generally what they're currently saying it get, generally gets used for is the first thing it does is it elevates uh, its Privilege. own file to a root privilege and then it just runs it from there so and bye-bye operating system and files yeah it's an interest i mean there's been this is probably one of the first cases of a remote access hack into linux or at least uh a relatively accessible i mean there's been cases where it's been this particular version of java or a particular version of something that's caused the problem but this is you know a kernel anything this is a kernel error yeah (laughs) So basically, anything that's running, you know, and basically version five of a kernel can potentially be an issue. Um, I'm sure they'll patch it very quick. Update um, your stuff, guys. Yeah, and 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 if you got five um, fifteen, it's later than five eight, so it should be fine. Uh, yeah the the Linux Linux release patches on February twenty third, and Google merged the bug fix into Android because don't forget it affects Android because it's Linux. And I guess at some point it probably affects Mac OS and Windows too at a deeper level. Um, but Linux released the fix on February 23rd. Android released the bug fix on February 24th. Um, and so basically, yeah. So theoretically, if your system's up to date, you should fix it. But if you've got older mail servers or file servers or... Um, uh, uh, what are you running? A um, NAS? No, and no, no, print no, like servers a, and yeah, print servers and um, you know, DNS. Your yep. um, well, you've got your ad block server. Yep. You know all that sort of stuff. Anything uh, could even be something as simple as your main pie hole. Yeah, pie holes or like your main arcade. A lot of those run on Linux. Yep. Um, so basically, if you've got a Linux system, just check it, make sure it's updated. If it all updates, I'll do it. If it's an older one or a terminal or something like that, you'll probably have to do it manually. But just be aware of that because once they're in, you, and the thing is, you they could, and this was the thing that was happening with bot networks for the longest time, people would have access to these computers. 
but they wouldn't touch him for six months or 12 months. And then once they had the 10 million that they needed, they'd do a, you know, a denial of service attack or something. Yep. You know, and um, the, 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 the systems were infected three, six, 12 months earlier and nobody knew because it just sat there dormant. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be exactly the same with this particular with this particular thing. They could be sitting there dormant and just waiting until, you know, waiting until they need to start up a botnet to do something. Yeah. So update your stuff, peeps. And it's not generally. I'm not. I'm not a person who updates. I mean, especially Windows. I have auto update turned off. But Linux, I feel, is so inherently secure that they release an update for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> not just arbitrary, hey, we're going to screw your computer this week. Yeah. <laughs> Windows. Windows. Oh, that's what I was going to say too. Mm-hmm. If you've got Minecraft on Linux and you have the Java version of Minecraft on Linux, they're offering you a free version of Windows. <laughs> <laughs> when you load into your Linux, your Linux Minecraft, big pop-up screen... Um, we're, if you own Windows 11, we're offering you a copy of Minecraft. And if you own Minecraft, we're offering you a copy of Windows 11. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. That's one way to market it, I suppose. I'm still not using it, but that's one way to market it. <laughs> Tech billionaire Mike Cannon-Brooks and his partners, Brookfield Asset Management, are set to abandon their takeover of bid for energy giant AGL after the electricity company rejected a second offer worth about $9 billion. Canadian investment firm Brookfield and Mr. Cannon Brooks Grok Ventures, cool nerdy <laughs> Linux name Grok Ventures, made an <laughs> increased offer of $8.25 a share, a 75% share increase, or 75 cent per share increase from the original $7.50 bid made a fortnight ago. The revised pitch was around a 10% increase on the original $8 billion bid and was made on Friday afternoon. AGL Energy's board met over the weekend decided to reject the offer. In an update to the ASX on Monday morning, AGL told the market the offer was still well below the fair value of the company. It said the latest raised offer was otherwise materially the same as the offer made in February. AGL's chairman, Peter Botton, said the latest proposal continues to ignore the value of the company's proposed demerger. He said the demerger would create two separate companies that would have a better overall value to the market. Brookfield and Grok Ventures are now expected to walk away from the takeover push. The Canadian firm was funding about 80% of the bid. The consortium is withdrawing from the process to take AGL private and believes that the company's demerger proposal is not in the interest of shareholders, consumers or the planet, a source close to both parties said. AGL Energy rejected the original $8 billion bid two weeks ago, which included plans to accelerate the closure of AGL's major coal-fire-powered stations. I'm just looking at AGL's current... Um, value stock value their current price is $7.20 yep which is a dollar a share less than they're offered yeah they're offered $8.25 it's ever been to let me just double check make sure I'm right here the highest it's been to in the last Two years is seven fifty. Yep. Did get as high as like eight dollars, but that was like brief start of twenty twenty one. Yep. And it's just been on a downhill spiral ever since. They think if so, they split the company up, the value of totaling the shares from both companies will be over eight dollars twenty five a share. But if they left it as the one company, it would have still been lower than what. Grok Ventures. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the, they would have still been trading as in, they own the they own the shares to the company, so they would have been trading as individual companies. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so, what was their total price? They offered three point eight three point eight billion or something. Didn't they say nine nine billion? Yeah. Okay, so com- current market value of AGL is four point two four point eight. Yep, and they're offered eight dollars twenty-five a share. Yeah, so it's double what the, com- what the company's company's currently worth. They offered, and they'll turn down. Yep. 
it's never been worth that much in the history of the company. The highest the company valuation got was about eight. You and can't that was like, get rid of the coal. That's all they care about. <laughs> you watch the price tank now once the investors find out that they got screwed they were, over. They got screwed over. And they're already going down. I'm looking at it now. In two, in three days, or sh- payout was when was payout? Twenty fourth. So what? Two weeks ago. So since payout, it's dropped. It only hit seven seventy on payout, but it's down to seven twenty. In the last like four days since that news came out, it's gone down twenty cents. <laughs> so good work. Don't think the investors are happy about that one. It wouldn't matter. And actually, that, I actually looked after that. We talked about that, whatever it was, a month ago. Whenever they first tried to do it, they're not a bad company. Like they, they're a well-established, well-renowned. Um, so you got to remember, Canada's like I think it's like eighty-five percent or something is powered by hydro, mm-hmm. like just because of the nature of yeah, Canada. Yeah. Um, so like they, they're obviously predominantly a hydro company because that's what they know. But um, I'm sure they. You know, they, they would have had um, interesting ideas for AGL, that's for sure. Yeah. But, I mean, there's nothing stopping them from starting their own company. And, like, it's an open market, so technically they could just start from scratch and be done with it. And I don't think it would take them too long to no. <laughs> get a decent following, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, well, they got a lot of money after they sold Atlassian. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the... Do they want the Australian market, though? I mean, does anybody <laughs> want the Australian market? It's not exactly known for its productivity and you know, m- making money. Um, so, who's heard of Google Stadia? It's dead, isn't it? Well, it's dead, Jim. I thought it was. Um, I remember doing a story a while back saying that they've kind of given up on the idea. Um, but apparently, uh, let me just check. Yeah, March twenty first, two thousand nineteen, was the future of gaming in a box. Um, was when they unveiled it, and then not long after that, I'm pretty sure they went. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, one of the guys on now on my work team uh, bought it. When he was in, when we were in America, and took it back to Japan, but he could not access the Stadia store because it, all the Japanese IPs were blocked because it hadn't been released there yet. Mm. So he had to wait until it was available to release in Japan before he could access the Stadia store. And then they were like, "Well, that's it for Stadia." Yeah, that's why I thought it shut down. But uh, Google appears to have built its own solution for running Windows games on Stadia. Yeah. Well, like Steam has, really? Yeah. Uh, Google is planning to detail its Windows emulator for Linux next week at a company's Google for Games Developer Summit on March 15th. Um, Reddit users have spotted a session at the summit that will detail how to write Windows emulator for Linux from scratch. The session will be led by Markin Undek on Google Stadia porting platform team and promises a detailed overview of the technology behind Google's solution for running unmodified Windows games on Stadia. It appears that Google has built its own Windows emulator for Linux to help developers port games to the service without having to modify titles. Why didn't they just use Wine? If the emulator runs live on Stadia instead of just testing environments, this could open the door to a lot more games making their way to Stadia in the future. When Google first unveiled Stadia three years ago, the server hardware powering the service all ran on Linux. That meant game developers had to port their games to Stadia. Google partnered with Unreal and Unity and even middleware companies like Havoc, but there was still some lifting involved for developers to port the games. Uh, it now seems that Google has built a solution to remove that work and allows Windows games to run unmodified. Google's mentions an emulator here, but it's more likely the company has instead built a compatibility layer compatible of running Windows applications without having to directly emulate them for performance savings. Uh, Value has cre- Valve has created its own pro- Proton compatibility layer that allows Windows games to run on Linux by using a modified version of Wine. Proton now helps power the Steam Deck experience by mapping Microsoft's Direct3D graphics APIs to Vulkan. Google's deep dive will include technical details on this technology. 
Google might not be alone in bringing unmodified versions of Windows games to streaming service. Amazon's Luma game streaming service is currently powered by Windows, but the company has been trying to hire developers with experience in working with Proton. Google's plans aren't super clear right now, but we'll learn more about what they're doing with Stadia next week. Hmm. So, yeah, Valve obviously created, well, Proton. Yep. Which was what Steam uses. Which is what we use to play all our Windows stuff. Exactly, which is it's almost behind. completely flawless. Uh, apart from a couple of issues I'm having on an older computer that only just runs the games anyway. Yeah. Mine's um, fine. I haven't had a problem with it on anything else. Then you've got Wine for the stuff that doesn't run under Proton. Yeah, and things um, like Lutris and Play on Linux, which are all built to do the same stuff. Yeah, and I was, as I said, I was using... Um, uh, a couple of different uh, video editing software and stuff as well that you know you're using Wine for. Yep. Um, and then you've got yeah Amazon that's that's trying to switch over to basically Proton and Wine, which is Proton is basically Wine is the original Windows emulator. Um, and no, Wine lot... stands for Windows. Windows. Wine is not an emulator. Wine is not an emulator. Yeah, <laughs> but I guess it's not actually. It's a it's a Simulator parallel kind of yeah it's an adapter so yeah. it's not really an emulator it doesn't emulate windows it adapts your software to work on your hardware yeah. from using a windows environment almost but without actually having to boot into windows you can you can run windows through wine and it actually works perfectly fine as well so you can legitimately do that yeah. but then yeah steam come out and, and created proton which was a cut down of it. see if you run through wine which is fine but if you run through wine it pops up a thing saying let's create you know, you want to allocate this much to a device to a particular program, and you want to put it in this part of the drive, and like it, it. It's a bit after it's allocated enough room to the program, then it basically loads the Windows installer and makes it look like Windows, and it kind of, in a way, loads the Windows environment. Yeah. Um, whereas Proton doesn't have any of that. It literally just goes, "Oh, it's a Windows program. Let's just make it's all it just work. dynamic." Yeah. It just does it in the background, and then Google comes along, and goes, "Well, there's Wine and there's Proton." But we don't want to use these free open source programs that everybody else is using, which have already been written and <laughs> out for years and years and very stable. So let's create our own thing that probably doesn't work on a platform that nobody uses anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way to get people to. On, yeah. I don't on, think yeah. people are going to buy Stadia just because of that. I'd still no, be I worried think, that it's just going to die. I think the Steam Deck's got them in that regard. Yeah. Um. Like, the, I mean, okay, the Stadia is cheaper than than the Steam one, but because the Stadia is like fifty bucks or something, yeah, like it's really cheap. But um, it's not portable, though, is it? It's uh, just a kind of TV. is. It's not a not not like a handheld, but it's kind of just, it's basically Chromecast and a controller. Yeah, basically, like as long as you've got a monitor, it's portable. I'd rather have a Steam Play that you can plug into your TV or a Nintendo Switch you can plug into your TV. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. You get the best of both mean, worlds in. What's the point of a stadium? Well, and this is the other thing I don't understand because uh, on the new Samsung and LG TVs, um, they've changed it from Android TV to Google TV, but they use, apparently they've got Stadia support on the new ones. Oh. But they're using, um, uh, yeah, I don't know what they're using, but they've got Stadia pre Stadia's pre-installed on the new Samsung and LGs. Right. Um, so I don't know, like, if they're just going, I mean, because the new TVs have, well, the Stadia ones would have Bluetooth because that's what it uses for the control. So technically you just need a controller and you can play games but i mean you can do that with steam anyway because most new tvs have the steam app which lets you remotely load the program so... the difference is i guess you've got to have the back-end hardware to run the steam one but i still don't know how i don't know i'm still not convinced that running a game on a server on an internet connection at the other side of the world would give you lag-free play with instant response yeah i, I still can't see how that happens because even something like the Steam Deck that does a lot of... I mean, it, it does a lot of the processing on 
doesn't do all of it. it it does fall back onto the server for some of it but it does a lot of real-time processing on the machine and it's designed for it yeah. something like effectively what's a google tv stick with a monitor attached to it um it doesn't have they can't do any processing locally no so i i don't know um if anybody knows send an email to will it yeah i mean you can like stadia is free to use like you could you can run it on your phone or whatever like it'll work um and you can trial so there are some games that are free so you could trial it and see i don't know i think there's too many so we're getting into that how many devices do we need again yeah you know like i can already play all my steam games on my phone because i just load the steam client up and anything that's already installed on my computer under the same account i can play on my phone yeah I don't need the Steam Deck. I don't, like, I could use one of those, uh, I can either use a Bluetooth controller or I can use one of those ones that the phone sits in. And Yeah, well, um, I mean, I've got the KDE Connect and you can get the uh, Windows phone system and use your phone to control stuff on the computer on your monitor and stuff as well. Exactly. And that's, I mean, like, how many devices do you need that literally do exactly the same thing? I, don't, I think like, this it, was one of those Google 20% things where somebody said, hey, I might do this in my spare time, came up with it, and they said, yeah, let's try and market it, but we don't know who's going to buy it. It's a solution looking for a problem that's not there. Yeah, well, the, you know, so like, the difference, I guess, between the, the Stadia and the, the Steam and then the DS, as you say, they, they're different game set but they're probably not because the like all the big companies are going to have the same game on all the platforms anyway so it's kind of irrelevant yeah so how many platforms do i need to play the same game the same way with the same you know how much more hardware do i need to play the same thing yeah yeah. like (laughs) it's it's kind of it's not like you're playing in the old days where you had 14 different handheld games but it was 14 different games yeah you know, even on your phone, even if you stay away from, even if you stay away from um, the Steam and the Arcadia and the, the those sort of stores, there's so many games already available on the Android store. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I most of the games that are on there are, are, are available anyway. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, oh, I don't know. It, okay. It's so we, we have we had this problem a few years ago when. Um, it's going to go oh, the way of the ooh yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, is that? But the, we had this problem a few years ago when we had... Um, we've had it with a lot of different things, like m- with media. At one point, we had, all at the same time happening, we had floppy disk, we had CD, we had video disk, we had DVD, we had mini disk. Um, and I think there's another one in there somewhere. All happening at the same time. Yep. And because of that, you couldn't, like, I couldn't burn a DVD and give it to a mate because he only had a CD player, but he couldn't burn a CD plus R because my reader only read the minus R, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And then another guy only had a mini disc and another guy had a zip drive, but you had a jazz drive. (laughs) (laughs) Too many formats. Like, just stop. You don't, like, focus on getting the existing technology functioning correctly and then worry about it. Exactly. You know, instead of trying to have 47 ways of doing the same thing, have three that work properly. And if you're not one of the three that's creating that pro- that style of thing, don't try and butt in on them. Yeah. Do your own thing that's different and, and actually gives people a reason. They might go, oh, yeah, I think I might use that one instead because it's better. Yeah. You know, I don't know. But it just seems weird to me. When I was in high school, the computers that we had started off with learning was microbees. And in February 2022, the microbee celebrates its 40th anniversary. Join in for a March of the Microbee, the little Aussie computer that could. March of the Microbee, a series of events at the National Computing Heritage Centre in Croydon, New South Wales, run by the Australian Computer Museum Society, will see original engineer Owen Hill, joined by Ewan Wordsworth, the current Microbee owner, 
Alan Lawton, historian and microbee forum admin, and Monty Chan, retired microbee technician, guiding us through the rise of the microbee along with stories of the past 40 years, along with a glimpse of the future of microbee and how this computer still delights and engages its users today. Come and see the series of unique and wonderful Australian-designed and built computers. Meet the historians, users, and developers, and join us in this informative and engaging event of interactive sessions and hardware show and tell. The Microbee is truly one of Australia's greatest success stories of computing. Relive and share your memories and meet the people who created and continue to develop this wonderful, mighty Aussie. March 19th at the NCHC, 9 West Street in Croydon, New South Wales. Tickets are essential, limited capacity. Payment can be made by or in conjunction with a $25 service New South Wales Discover voucher at the door. Current members, email the secretary for your free ticket via a discount code. All proceeds go towards the Australian Computer Museum Society in supporting events and the protection of Australian and other retro and vintage technology, along with the support and education of the Australian public. Give them support. I'm tempted to drive down to Sydney just for that. That's pretty cool. I reckon that'd be a great day out. I met um, I met you and already we did an interview. Well, I did an interview with him for our Old Fart Geeks podcast. Mm. Nice bloke. Yep. And I really liked the microbees. It was really the first computer I ever touched or used, and I was just mind blown. I'm like, wow, this is so cool. Playing Emu Joust, I love to do that at lunchtime and recess every day. Designed and developed in Gosford, New South Wales and released in February 1982. Yeah. It's, um... I mean, we still... Well, we still had micro bees even when I started on computers, which is you know, ten years after. Well, yeah. Well, I I left um, I left year ten in ninety five, and I think we got rid of the last one. I must have been year seven, so three years earlier. So like ninety one, ninety two. They you know are still yep. using them. Yeah, that's not bad. Ten year service life out of something like that. Yeah, they still got new ones. You and is making all the time with new features and. Newer hardware and stuff like that, and still oh, really? microbee like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, they have there like a, a microbee <clears throat> pro or something. Okay. There was a um, computer store in Lismore when I was growing up, and it was on the corner of Station Road and I can't, Union, I think. And it was. Um, what they have on the front, specialised in Micro B, Tandy, Dick Smith, uh, Commodore 64, uh, or Commodore, Amiga, Amstrad, and um, something else, two, two or three others. Yep. Like, it had all the, or Honeywell, yep. it was a Honeywell dealer. <laughs> <laughs> like, it had all these things on the window. Like, obviously, they got into more modern stuff as well, but everybody in the area who had the older computers all took them in there because they specialised in all the older stuff. Oh, right. All the old tape drives and the old um, the old semi-quasi-scuzzy floppy disks and <laughs> or floppy drives and the external stuff. And, yeah, they all, all took them in there. They had a guy prolific with repairing the old monitors and yep. it was really cool. And it smelt old like just yeah <laughs> it had this nostalgia could been, smell could have been a dozen fights that went through there but <laughs> it, had, it had this smell i still remember to this day it just reminded me of like a library crossed with like an industrial factory like it was the weirdest the weirdest smell but they had old like manuals and workshop manuals and factory manuals and data sheets and stuff all lined up on in the old bookshelf, and yep. had the old um, green and black patterned carpet on the floor, and <laughs> like, it was straight out of the seventies. Eh? It was fantastic. Uh, it was absolutely had all wood grain veneer walls, and yeah, had the old like the old. Um, it looked like a butcher shop in the front windows. It had the old display front windows with oh, the right. lace curtains behind them. Yeah, and they had all. <laughs> Like all these empty shells of of the old computers and stuff How in the cool. front window, and and the most modern thing they had was like a neon sign. They had like a 
um, neon advertising sign from like um, I think it was Amstrad or Amiga or something. <laughs> what was it? Yeah, it might have been Amiga. Had the three color bars as their logo. Oh right, Amstrad. Yeah. Amstrad. Amstrad. Yep. Yeah, and that was a neon sign they had in the window. <laughs> and it, it awesome. Was awesome. I think it was there until, well, it was there when I left in '95, and I went back a, a couple of years later. It was still there, so it was there until at least the late '90s. Yep. <laughs> That was so cool. I had a look at microbtechnology.com.au and they call it the Classic Plus Kit Computer. Backwards compatible with the older MicroB range of computers running CPM and offering a vast back catalogue of software, this new kit has an impressive array of features on a single board which includes a Z80 processor running at up to 10 MHz, base of 128K memory expandable to 1 MB, MicroB Premium Series Color Graphics, SD card storage with floppy disk emulation, floppy disk drive interface option with double and high density support, full travel mechanical switch 64 key keyboard, standard microB parallel and serial ports, onboard efficient switching regulators, single PCB four layer design for better signal integrity, Arduino compatible slot option via mezzanine Borg plugin, 50 way Z80 bus expansion header, Hybrid kit includes all through-hole parts for assembly and pre-assembled SMD module. Supplied without a case, keeping the cost down and sits on rubber feet, but designed to fit in a MicroB Premium Series case if you have one already. Cost-reduced design which compared to the Premium Plus kit. The pre-assembled sodium module takes care of the screen control logic along with the SD card operation and floppy disk emulation. And the sodium socket and four other components are surface mount components and get soldered on the board prior to shipping. So no need to worry about trying to find solder fine pitch SMD parts. And the Arduino compatible expansion shield option fits to the main board and has a GPIO driver chip and six channel ADC. So that's yeah, just the classic one. But the funny thing is, like, even though they've got all that in it, it's still smaller than the original board. Yeah. Because like it fits in the same case, yeah. but it's much smaller than because the original board went right under the keyboard and everything. Like it was, this just is like it's actually the board smaller than the keyboard. Yeah, yeah. The original one went tucked right, well, basically filled the entire case. That's why the case was the size it was. Yeah, that was, that was the whole the motherboard. There's actually a guy I was watching on. Um, I'm pretty sure you can get it on. Um, uh, well, I haven't complete blank. Um, that place you go to get all the 3D printed models um wow anyway thingiverse yep um on there somebody has well i'm assuming there's a micro b because i know that there's an omega 500 and a commodore 64 design that you can print a case for oh nice so i'd imagine there's a micro b one in there you could print the case to fit yeah <laughs> but yeah i don't know how much it doesn't so have a price on how much that is but um no hang on go to the store and have a look let's see uh development boards merchandise kit computers here we go Computers Premium Plus, uh, Premium, that's the upgrades, adapter kits, replacement kits. You know, they don't have the actual um, price of the the um, that system on there. But uh, it's, well, there you go. There's a CGA to HDMI converter. Yep. Because you'd need that. <laughs> PS2 adapter kits, just basic stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's a pity they don't have, or have I just missed it? Mm, I don't think it's on there. Curious to see how much they actually are. Oh, there you go. You can still get five and a quarter inch floppies. Yeah. Uh, five pack for twelve fifty. There you go. That's all right. Almost worth buying a five pack just to have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to show people what they are. See what I got. <laughs> That's actually not bad. That's about what I remember paying for them 20 years ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not much has changed there. Verbatims. Uh, these are Nashua's. Nashua's, they were good. The ones with the round circle with the pink, you know, the pink, blue, green, red yep. circle dividers. Yeah. Yeah, the, I, I actually liked those because they were cheaper, but they seem to be just as good. Um, they got the EEPROMs and they got all sorts of stuff. Wow. Okay, cool. They sell all the chips individually as well. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's amazing that um, you know, how a lot of that old stuff is still around, honestly. And still popular. You know, I'm glad that it's still an active 
You know what I mean? Like it's an Australian company and most Australian companies, especially the old ones like this, they don't adapt. They just fade into nothingness. Yeah. Yep. But obviously these guys have realized, hey, there's actually a, somewhat of enough of a market to... Keep going. You know, it's not like we're going to be selling computers anymore, but you got to think if they've got, a, I don't know, let's say that kit's a couple hundred bucks and, you you know, you sell a couple a week, it's not a bad pocket, not a bad pocket money, you know. There's a lot of us oldies who love the nostalgia. Yeah, exactly. Um, and if nothing, I mean, it'd be good to get some of these um, unassembled kits because if you, they're a good way to learn if you want to learn how to solder and want to learn how to read diagrams and, and learn how to, you know, check out your components to make sure you're using the right ones and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Um, getting these sort of kits is a great idea for that because they're, they're so well documented that you can learn and you end up with something functional at the end of it. Yeah. So many practice solder boards are literally just like, oh, yeah, just solder these resistors into this board and you end up with a board full of resistors. You can't do anything. You get with. flashing lights. Got to have the flashy lights. Some of them do, yeah. You know, <laughs> and that's like the old... Um, uh, Tandy kits were fantastic back in the day. Yep. Um, J Car tried, but they're not they're not great. Um, they had Dick Smith like ones. Yeah, they, well, they don't do them anymore. No, Dick Smith does thing. nothing electrical. And the, Tandy and Dick Smith used to be competing on that level, but then once Tandy closed its doors, Dick Smith went, "We don't need to sell any of this stuff anymore. We won." And now they're owned by Kogan. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess the closest to that would be um, Radio Shack. But I don't even know if they're... There was a Radio Shack in Melbourne when I was down there, but I don't even know if they're anymore. Don't think so. <laughs> they cars, yeah, I mean, they have some stuff, but nothing... Not not like... Not Tandy-level stuff. No. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Head Show. We can be found at Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Patreon, and Coffee. Email us, Will or Warlock, at aussietechheads.com.au and go to aussietechradio.com, 24-7 playback of tech-related shows. See you next time. Bye.